Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. So, do you want marketing made simple? Shopify removes the guesswork with built-in tools that help you create, execute, and analyze all your online marketing campaigns. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com income now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com income. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. This is a special bonus encore episode of Broadway Nation in celebration of the re-release of the book formerly known as Footnotes and now retitled When Broadway Was Black, the triumphant story of the all-black musical that changed the world. In the first segment, you'll hear part of my very recent conversation with author Cassine Gaines all about this new retitled and updated version of his fascinating history of the 1921 musical Shuffle Along. Then you'll hear the second part of my original discussion with him recorded back when the book first came out. And if you missed it, you can hear the first half of both of those conversations on the previous episode of Broadway Nation. Here we go. You were mentioning that Shuffle Along is really the beginning of 10 years of when Broadway was Black. And I know in the course I teach at the University of Washington and on the podcast, I try to emphasize the fact that this is not one show. This is the kickoff for a series of very successful, very impactful shows. Yeah. And I know that you also emphasize, and it's important to emphasize it, that not only is this the kickoff, but by 1921, it's also a renaissance. A reprise almost. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. Because, you know, you had a great period of about a little over a decade of those Williams and Walker shows, Ernest Hogan, you know, you had that stretch. And I don't want to give like short strift to those shows because they were incredibly important, incredibly significant. They all had very short runs, you know, 50 performances in New York, you know, 17 performances in New York. But all four of the Shuffle Along collaborators would say that you don't get a Shuffle Along without Into you don't get that great period of the 20s without those 1898, 1909 shows, you know? So yeah, it is important. And I think in doing interviews and press for the hardcover version, I found myself so often talking about Shuffle Along. And what I really hoped to do with this retitling was exactly as you said, David, you know, let people know, you know, theater historians or people that are interested in theater history likely know of Running Wild. But even a show like The Chocolate Dandies, like a lot of people don't know. I'm just hoping that it it changes the conversation a little bit. And frankly, 
frankly, I hope that it restarts the calendar to like before Showboat. You know, that there were significant shows before 1927. I think that's also just an important kind of flag to plant. And I'm hoping that the book sort of does that as well. So speaking of that earlier decade of Broadway being Black, there was a lot of controversy right now about Lift Up Your Voice, Mm -hmm. just because it was involved in the Super Bowl. And I don't know if you saw the post I put out. I did. It's a great post. Because I think it's important to remember that the Johnson brothers are first and foremost theater artists. Mm -hmm. That's who they were. And then they did a lot of other great things. But that part never enters into the discussion. Do you have any comment on the current controversy? (laughs) <laughs> not to bring well, not no, to no, no. rope I, you into something yeah no 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 roping i you know i look i think the current controversy is so representative of why it's important to have books like when broadway was black but also just a wider breadth of knowledge of american history and i say american history because you know if you know that a broadway composer wrote this song that's now being performed in the super bowl you might actually have a different perspective on on the song. It right. might not be, well, where did this song come from? And I've never heard this before. But if you sort of say, well, this song comes from the early 1900s, it changes if you are even remotely sincere in your criticism or confusion, you know, <laughs> if you're even remotely open to the conversation, it could change your perspective. And that's why, you know, I'm, I'm a theater educator as well as, as being, you know, a writer. And I might have mentioned this to you the first time we chatted, but I just think about this project of looking at Shuffle Along and looking at Shuffle Along as a case study for representation on the world's biggest stages. And I can't help but think about every single time I talk about this book, my Black and Brown theater students that go through high school programs, college level programs, auditioning, (laughs) and, and believing that they have to open doors that had never been opened. And thinking about how differently they would see themselves and maybe even how differently the people in the casting room would view them if they knew that there was this period of when Broadway was black in the 20s. You know, if if they knew that there was a shuffle along. And yes, I also get this too. I get a lot of, well, I've heard of shuffle along before. I know shuffle along is important, you know, but do you know how important? You know, do you know that it kicked off this decade-long run of all black shows? I think there's also frankly, a kind of a privilege to knowing Shuffle Along. You know, you probably are are someone who's seen a lot of theater, which which is perhaps is a class thing, perhaps is a race thing, perhaps is about like what your parents were interested in and the way that you grew up. You know, Shuffle Along is not known in the same way that Showboat is known, in the same way that Carousel is known, South Pacific, West Side Story, Porgy and Bess, etc. So yeah, people know it, but... They know about it. They Right, they know about it, but I don't think they really know it. You know, it's like your friend Because we've work, never seen I've, I've seen ever all those other shows you mentioned. I've never seen a production of Shuffle Along. Yeah. And so I think it is important that sometimes we do have to kind of face America's past, whether it's Lift Every Voice and Sing or whether it's Shuffle Along. And if people feel excluded by it, that's okay, because a lot of people feel excluded by a lot of what they see in the media, you know? (laughs) Not every media is for everyone, you know? That's okay, too. If you didn't like that three minutes during the Super Bowl, that's all right. You'll live. In the new material for the book that you've created, I was fascinated by the discussion that Jack Vertel and August Wilson had about the possibility of doing an encore production of Shuffle Along. Did you talk to Jack about it, I guess, is the first question. I did not talk to Jack about it. 
I reached out, but I did not. I did not talk to Jack about it. But I did. But I did get the correspondence. <laughs> <laughs> you had a copy of the letter, obviously. I did. So tell us a little bit about that. What was August Wilson's? Because Jack was reaching out, saying, "Is this something we can revive? We should revive. Is it possible to do this in the 21st century?" Right. I believe it was 2002, and Jack had a very sincere and I think very heartfelt sort of question, which is, "I would be staging this show as a part of encores to." honor and celebrate Black performers on Broadway, but inherent in the material is the potential to offend the very people that I would be hoping to celebrate. And he reaches out to August Wilson and says, you know, I respect your opinion. What do you think? And August Wilson, I thought, just had such a great, you know, August Wilson is August Wilson. I love August Wilson. So, I mean, who am I to pat him on the head and say he had a great insight? But, you know, August Wilson basically said there are problematic aspects of Shuffle Along, but also Shuffle Along was produced in a time where representation for Blacks was so minimal. You know, now there is more representation of Black people on Broadway, in film, in television. And in the same way that white people would not look at the Three Stooges and say, oh, well, all white people are like that, you know, people would not necessarily look at Shuffle Along and say, well, all Black people are like the Sam Peck and Steve Jenkins characters in that show. But he said there is something that is very important in forcing white Americans to look at a show like Shuffle Along and realize the concessions that Black artists had to make in order to open the doors for the Black artists who are working today. That there is power in that discomfort, in holding up a mirror to the 1920s and saying, look at what society led these performers to do in order to succeed. And perhaps they wouldn't have succeeded had they not made those decisions, and those concessions. And ultimately, you know, Jack decides not to do it. And I would love to know, I mean, I still would love to know, you know, Jack, if you're a listener, <laughs> you know, but in all seriousness, I, I really would love to know because I, I make no judgment about his decision to not do it. I fully understand why it wasn't done, but I, I do wonder what exactly was the thought process that led to Encore's not producing it that year. Yeah, it's completely understandable the dilemma he was in in terms of that, yeah. but it would be interesting to, and I'm sure you'll talk to him at some point. He's around, he's accessible. We do follow each other on Twitter, both of <laughs> us. So I, th I think it will happen. But the one thing I do want to say too is I think what happens very often with, you know, quote unquote problematic material is that the path of least resistance is to just avoid. And right. I do believe that part of what happens in Shuffle Along's now over century long history is that there are these sort of moments of avoidance where we don't want to look at Shuffle Along. It's not in politic or the best move for the Black community or for the theater community to sort of acknowledge that this show existed. It's not all the time. And I don't think it's some great conspiracy. I just think that's what happens with art all the time. That's what happens with art all the time. And it just unfortunately repeatedly happened with Shuffle Along. Do you know of any, since your book came out especially, have there been any colleges or theater companies or anybody that's working to bring that back to the stage in any way or even in a reading or something like that? Well, I love that question. I might get the name of the company a little bit wrong, but I believe it's the Harlem Opera House. I might have that a little bit incorrect, but they did a full version of Shuffle 
along, I believe on New Year's Eve, they, they streamed it as well. It's still available online. I believe wow. it was New Year's Eve 2021. So for the 100th anniversary, they did a live performance and they also put it online, which was great. It was great to just see the full book, the full school, you know, it was the full production. I know that Noble Sissel's, Noble Sissel Jr.'s, family members, I think actually Noble Sissel III, believe it or not, directed a production of Shuffle Along a couple of years ago in Florida. And in case you didn't know, David, actually, on May 22nd, I am producing 54 Sings Shuffle Along at 54 Below. And we have a very special host, which we haven't announced yet, but actually I will announce now. So Noble Sissel Jr. actually is going to host this concert and he is going to lead us through most of the score and I'm really excited we have some great performers that are already announced some great performers that haven't been announced yet but the ones that have been announced so far I hope I don't forget anyone Kimberly Marable Afra Hines Major Attaway James Jackson Jr. now I'm trying to remember who was announced and who wasn't announced just name them all that's okay. we got lots of scoops here <laughs> lots of scoops lots of scoops but yeah I'm I'm so excited for this concert because it's important that we continue to breathe life into this show that we continue to talk about it and I love what you do on social media I love what you do through the podcast I love that you know you always have your pulse on the new books that are coming out the new shows you're like it feels very current but also you focus on theater history because I guess since the book came out I've thought a lot about the idea of the historical memory of theater. And, you know, I have George C. Wolfe quoted in the book a little bit talking about this, but it really was something that really stuck with me in thinking about this show. And I think that when there is no cast recording, when there is no licensable version of the show, you know, the way that shows live is through posts, is through podcasts, is through books, is through photographs, is through, you know, any way that we can. You know, for all of the people that are hearing about when Broadway was Black for the first time now that it's out in paperback that means that they missed the hardcover you know which means that we have to keep talking about it so people don't miss it thank you Cassine Gaines it's so wonderful to have you back on Broadway Nation to talk about when Broadway was black and we will look forward to the 54 below presentation in May awesome thank you so much welcome to another episode of Broadway Nation the podcast that tells the remarkable story of how immigrants, Jews, queers, African-Americans, and other outcasts invented the Broadway musical and how they changed America in the process. I'm David Armstrong, and I call this episode 100 Years of Shuffle Along, Part 2. This is the second part of my conversation with author Cassine Gaines, whose fascinating new book, Footnotes, the Black artist who rewrote the rules of the Great White Way, tells the story of how in 1921, four talented and determined young Black vaudevillians, Noble Sissel, U.B. Blake, Floynoy Miller, and Aubrey Lyles, against incredible odds, teamed up to produce a runaway Broadway hit that ushered in a vibrant decade of Black musicals on Broadway. If you missed the first episode in this series, you may want to go back and listen to that before continuing with this one. Although we now know that Shuffle Along became a giant, unprecedented hit, no one, except for possibly the show's four creators, would have expected that it would have any chance for success. 
There had not been a black musical on Broadway in more than 10 years, and as I understand it, Cassine, some people were even suggesting that if Shuffle Along opened, it might incite a race war, especially because the show included a love story, a black romantic couple, and a love song that was played seriously rather than for laughs. Yes, there were actually telegrams sent to the producers saying that race war could quite literally break out. And the reason is, I don't mean to suggest all, but there were certainly people, even in liberal New York, even in 1921, who believed that Black people were inherently different than white people believed that Black people's primary function in American society was to entertain, and that meant to be laughed at. And so it was quite possible for there to be romance on stage that was played for humor, but to be played sincerely was heresy, was absolute heresy. And so it's astonishing to think about this show touring South Carolina Alabama, Georgia during this time. But I think one of the things that the the writers did that was very creative and important was they also had those concessions in terms of blackface comedy, in terms of antebellum humor. There were those elements that also were pacifying to a white audience in 1921. And because the show did both, it enabled the show to succeed. You know, Floyd Miller said, blackface was the bait to draw them in and once inside they would appreciate our fine art and i think that that was borne out to be true so the show was really quite subversive in its own way you could say it gave the audience just enough of what they expected to see and hear and then slipped in some fairly revolutionary and subversive content yeah and i think because the show was clean it wasn't preachy it was just entertaining and i think that white audiences were shocked by it they were shocked by how much they enjoyed it. One of the things that surprised me is the number of times that the creators of Shuffle Along used the word propaganda and openly acknowledged that they basically had an anti-racist social change agenda in producing these shows. I wasn't surprised so much that that was their intention, but I was very surprised to hear them talk about it so openly. Yeah, and I'll even pull back a little bit further and say I was surprised at how Jim Europe used it as well. I mean, Jim Europe was very clear in telegraphing that he was going to unionize black musicians, make sure they had fair wages, make sure they had health care. They were never going to wear blackface. They were always going to have proper accommodations when they played. And his goal was to create an all-Negro symphony orchestra. It is amazing to me that we, 100 years later, still approach conversations about race with almost like a contract. All of these ground rules have to be established. You have to make sure everyone understands and agrees to the ground rules. You have to warn people that they may feel discomfort, and that's okay. And, and we have to do all of this work And yet, a hundred years ago, you had black artists saying, theater is our ministry, essentially. We are evangelists who are going to use musical theater as a way to change hearts and minds towards the Negro in this country. And they are telegraphing this in newsprint, in syndicated articles throughout the United States. And essentially, no one bats an eye. No one says what's going on here. No one says, let's stop going to these shows. No one says there's some liberal agenda. 
people just say, if that's what your goal is, then good luck with it. You know, W.E.B. Du Bois is is quoted in footnotes, not directly. I did not summon him, <laughs> but um, but he's he said, no, that, let me tell you something. That would be my best one ever. Um, but Du Bois is quoted in footnotes saying there are two kinds of race prejudice in this world. One are people who are just ignorant to the plight of black people. They have not been exposed. They have not read. They have not heard. They only know what they read in the papers or what they see in films like Birth of a Nation or something like that. And that's it. The other are white people who know better and are in positions where they can expose white people to black people. And he was speaking specifically about Shuffle Along and the major white theater owners not booking this show. This show played on 63rd Street because it was the only house they could get. And even when they toured throughout the United States, it was always independent theaters. And so Du Bois said he really felt like this show was significant in the movement for civil rights because it was good, clean entertainment that whites could enjoy and not just could enjoy, wanted to enjoy, sought it out. It sold out, you know, everywhere. But there still were limitations with some people having access to it. You mentioned that the Schuberts and Abraham Erlanger, the most powerful theater owners of that day, they owned multiple theaters both in New York and across the country, and they would not book Shuffle Along into their theaters. Even though it was making more money on Broadway than practically any other show, and this was during a very depressed time in show business. Right, and one can speculate as to why that is. Shuffle Along was a show with very little overhead, and so I feel like I should acknowledge this. It was never the number one show on Broadway, but because of the minimal expense, it was the most profitable show on Broadway. And because it was so simple to put up, it could tour. It could tour anywhere. It could play in almost any house. When smart, savvy, pretty ruthless businessmen repeatedly turned down the most profitable show of the day... The only reason they can be doing that is racism. It's as simple as that, because it goes against everything that those men who ran the industry were all about. I don't see how it could be categorized any other way. I I think by any objective standard, one has to draw that conclusion. Even so, in spite of all of that, Footnotes is filled with joyous stories of black artists, especially black women artists, who triumphed during this period. Share with us a few of those that most captivated you. I think Florence Mills is a fascinating character. There initially was more of her in the book as well. And if you read footnotes and you fall in love with her, like I fell in love with her, I encourage you to seek out more about her. In terms of Black performers in the 20s, she was to England what Josephine Baker was to Paris. And and that really is the comparison. I would even say even someone like Sophie Tucker, who is not a Black performer, but she plays a, a pivotal part in this story as well. And the Black Patty is someone else who comes up early on in the book. There are just so many performers that were breaking ground in not just the 1920s, but the book really starts in the late 1800s and goes to the 1952 in the proper portion of the book. And then we kind of jump ahead in time a little bit. But I was just in awe of all of these people. And I just kept envisioning what it must have been like to be at a place like Connie's Inn, to be at the Cotton Club, 
There is a club that the name is escaping me right now, but I write about it in the Black Bohemian chapter of the book where it was this restaurant that was in a brownstone that jazz musicians would go and dancers would go. And it was just sort of like a night spot, but just for performers and poets and artists. And they would try out material and they would create over drinks and dinner. And it was just the atmosphere at that time in an incredibly depressed New York. They were still coming out of the 1980s pandemic. They were coming out of the First World War. Prohibition was newly established and decimated New York's economy. The women's movement did not begin in the 60s. It certainly started significantly earlier. And so you had divorce rates skyrocketing in 1920. You had the rise of the flapper. You had the 19th Amendment. You know, there were all of these things happening culturally in New York City at this time. And like, out of the ether, this little ramshackle show invigorates or reinvigorates the city. It's not an overstatement to say that. You know, one of the things that I I write about in the book is just a couple of weeks after Shuffle Along's opening, there were reviews for the show as far out as Kentucky because there were people that just happened to be traveling in New York when the show opened and came back and wrote to their local paper to say, if you are ever in in the New York area, you must go see this show. So it was just incredibly revolutionary, especially with like half of Broadway was dark in 1921 when the show opened. I love the way that throughout the book, you continuously tie in all of the social history of New York and America during the several periods that you deal with in this book. One of the things that I try to do with this podcast and through my teaching is make it clear that these Broadway musicals don't exist in a vacuum. Not only are they representative of the social and political changes that are happening in the culture during their time, they often aid and abet and inspire those changes. And Shuffle Along certainly did all of that. You can't separate them. And I don't think that this story that I wanted to tell would have worked for me if I just said this show is really important because of jazz and dancing and etc. I think you really had to explain this show is important because of where America was at this time. That's what made the show significant, not just the score and the dancing. Those were the cherries on top. They were not the Sunday. Wonderful. In honeysuckle time. In honeysuckle time. Talking about Emmeline. We're talking about Miss Emmeline. She said she's gonna be mine. Emmeline gonna be mine. And in that wedding line. In that wedding line. There'll be no hesitating, cause the preacher will. When that knot is tied. When the knot is tied. All the fellows will be jealous and feeling kind of raw. Uh-huh. When they see me and Miss Emmeline, I strong, I stuff, hot dog, my son. We gonna knock on coal. We gonna work our weight in gold. In harness, the time. Don't go away. Broadway Nation will be back right after this short break. 
Hi, this is David Armstrong, and even here in Seattle, warmer, sunnier days are on their way. So it's time to fuel up for them and meet your wellness goals with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Thanks to Factors' menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, Keto, or my favorite, Vegetarian, Factors' fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. So what are you waiting for? Kickstart that new healthy routine with 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week so you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you can crush those wellness goals with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make everyday delicious from breakfast to dessert with restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. With no shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. With Factor, you enjoy effortless support for your lifestyle, choosing from six menu preferences that help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, or simply eat well-balanced meals. Here's what you do. Head to factormeals.com BN50 and use code BN50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code BN50 at factormeals.com BN50 as in Broadway Nation 50, and you'll get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Do it today! The immediate impact and influence of Shuffle Along was tremendous. The music and dancing were quickly emulated and replicated all across Broadway in reviews like the Ziegfeld Follies and the George White Scandals and musical comedies such as Lady Be Good and No No Nanette. Most importantly, over the next decade, more than 20 musicals created by and starring black artists opened on Broadway, including several by the authors of Shuffle Along. As happens in so many show business stories, the heady, overnight success of the show and the sudden wealth that it brought to its creators eventually led to Miller and Lyle splitting from Cecil and Blake, with each pair going their separate ways and competing with each other with rival Broadway productions. Following their lead was an entire generation of young black artists such as James P. Johnson, Cecil Mack, Henry Creamer, J. Turner Layton, and Fats Waller. Cassine, a few moments ago, you mentioned Elida Webb, who starts out as one of those much-acclaimed chorus dancers in Shuffle Along and then becomes the choreographer of Miller and Lyle's musical Runnin' Wild. The show that popularizes the Charleston. It does, yep. And not only does it popularize the Charleston, and I appreciate your wording there because she did not create the Charleston, but it was a social dance that had grown out of Black culture in Charleston, South Carolina. In the Great Migration, people came up to New York, and so in her telling of it, she would see kids dancing in the streets, and she approached them and said, what is this dance? And they said, it's just a dance we do. And she said, well, where are you from? And they said, Charleston. And that was good enough for her. (laughs) 
So that dance in particular ended up being something that there were lots of people that tried to lay claim to having created it, which is the plight of Black artists forever. You know, Jimmy Early in Dreamgirls, who, you know, he was the first to do <laughs> to do everything. The other thing that I should probably mention is show The Chocolate Dandies, which was a Cicel and Blake show that rivaled Run Wild. This is after the two teams have split up and are now doing separate shows and competing with each other. And they're both they're both doing them kind of as hired hands for white producers. So for Shuffle Along, they were co-owners of that show, which is really significant. And then they end up being just on the payroll for Runnin' Wild, which is Miller and Lyles' show, and Chocolate Dandies, which is Cicel and Blake's show. So they kind of pulled the people they wanted. So Josephine Baker, for example, went with Miller and Lyles. And this was a show that was a splashy, big-budget musical. They had three live horses in the show. Beautiful costumes, great sets. And it was a show that was criticized, actually, for being too white of a show, for being too too beautiful, too polished, too well done. There was one reviewer in particular who said there was too much art and not enough Africa. So while there were these many shows that came up, very few were revered in the same way that Shuffle Along was. And that's in part because Shuffle Along was a novelty. It was the only one when it came out. But there are so many adaptations that these all-Black shows started to almost just become caricatures of the previous show to the point where, as, as we talked about before, Miller and Lyle's playing the same characters in multiple shows. And there was a whole slew of what they called plantation reviews, which were just these like floor shows that were these antebellum, really kind of almost overtly racist, stereotypical shows. But they were these popular attractions that popped up just to sort of capitalize on this desire for black shows. Yeah, that description that you include of that nightclub, the the plantation nightclub, is truly horrifying. It's horrifying, and it's funny because I just kind of wrote it straight, and my editor was like, was this as mortifying for you to write as, as it was for me to read? So I put something in just to sort of suggest that, yes, I am also mortified by it. It's not just the facts here, but it's amazing to see what was acceptable, you know, what was okay, what was acceptable, and also what was in some ways necessary to do as a means to an end to open doors for other Black performers and to just make a living themselves. Yeah. What do you have to swallow to get where you're trying to go? And is it worth it? And I think that all four of the creators of Shuffle Along would say that it was worth it. But I think over time, people, Black and white people, started to wonder if it in fact was worth it. From the luxury of the future, they started to wonder. Exactly, yes. From walking through doors that had been opened, right. And while I certainly understand that kind of view of it, any criticism, I think, has to be tempered with putting yourself in the shoes of the person who was dealing with those issues at the time. And I think that, frankly, some of that criticism really diminishes the work of the individual performers. When you look at someone like Hattie McDaniel who, of course, was the first Black woman to win an Oscar for Gone with the Wind, to discount her performance, to me, almost feels like you don't think that she is acting. 
it's almost an acknowledgement that you believe that she is the stereotype that she is playing as opposed to someone who is actually doing work. You know, the same can be said of Stephen Fetch it. The same can be said of Billy Thomas, who played Buckwheat in the Hour Gang comedies. There are these figures that have, at different moments in our history, been sort of told that they should be best kept in a vault for the sake of progress. And while I understand that, I also think that what is happening now on services like HBO Max, where they they make these things available, but put some context around it, is the right way to go about it, not to erase it, because then you end up with generations of people believing that 2016 is the most diverse season in Broadway history. You know? And what does that mean? I so wish we had a time machine and could go back and see Miller and Lyles in performance, even though we might be somewhat horrified by some of what they did. But I guess we have a sense of what they did because they inspire the radio and TV show Amos and Andy or probably more accurately, Amos and Andy ripped them off. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and you know, Flournoy Miller ends up writing for Amos and Andy, which is just amazing. I think that was the other thing that was astonishing to me too. I take no offense, quote unquote, when people feel like Footnotes is a work of theater, is a theater book, certainly. But I was amazed as I was writing it at how much these performers intersected not only with the stage, but radio, television, motion pictures. Flournoy Miller said at that time, Black folks were not typed. They could do whatever they wanted to do because everyone was a first. Everyone was trying it out. And so there were kind of no rules in that regard. And I think you get to see that beautifully through the eyes of these four performers. How long did it take you to write footnotes? Um, Longer than my publisher wanted. (laughs) So I, I will be honest, I'll answer it this way. I've been working on the book since 2017. However, I did a lot of research. I did a lot of outlining. I had to try and figure out what story I wanted to tell. Obviously, my main goal was I wanted to tell the history of Shuffle Along. And that is certainly at the nucleus of the book. But then I think it grew into kind of me wanting to do more than just that. So it was a lot of scraps of paper and and (laughs) my desk was crazy. But... The vast majority of the writing of the book, I would say probably 80 to 85% of the writing of the book was actually all while we were quarantined, believe it or not. So I had gotten all of my ducks in a row and thank God I, I had because I wouldn't have been able to go to any libraries or any museums or anything. I don't know what I would have done, but I had amassed everything that I needed. And then the actual writing of it really began probably in late February of 2020. So actually, as books go, it was a fairly quick writing process. Yes, and I'm still amazed by it, but I can truly say I was blessed that I I didn't have any family members that became seriously ill. I did have some that contracted COVID, but it was mild cases, things like that. But I was really thankful that the, the world had sort of stopped for a moment, and I was able to use that time to really focus on telling the story. And then I have to say, out of this tragedy of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor's deaths, that significantly altered the book, I think, because it really led me to not just 
telling stories of war, but also telling stories of these soldiers returning from war and the violence that they faced. The violence that Black folks experienced in that period really became more of a character, particularly to the first third of the book, because of what was going on in 2020 at the time. So I was obviously gutted that it had happened, but I was able to use all of those emotions to better tell the story. That, again, underlines that these musicals are not just relics of history. Very often, they're very closely related to what's happening in our world today. Is there any aspect of footnotes that we've not touched on so far and that you want to make sure that our listeners know about? I I think it's interesting also to look at the 1933 and 1952 revivals of Shuffle Along. The show has never been on Broadway in its 1921 version since that show closed. And I don't want to spoil it because I think it's really interesting what happened with those shows. But if you don't know about the 1933 and 1952 productions, you you owe it to yourself to look into it because I think in the failures of those productions, you learn something about what made the original production so successful and also why Shuffle Along has sort of been relegated to a footnote to history. Generally, I'm a very optimistic and positive person, but I love writing about tragedies. And so that 1952, both of them, the 1933 and 1952 productions were just great to write about, even though they were heartbreaking in lots of regards (laughs) to write about. Well, thankfully, the story has at least one happy ending, and that's U.B. Blake's extraordinary comeback in the 1970s, when he's almost 100 years old, but still very much alive to enjoy his rediscovery by ragtime historians and ultimately by Broadway as well. It doesn't take all of the sting out of the tragedies that came before it, but it certainly helps. Absolutely. And it's funny, I had someone ask me the other day, would you say that this is a positive story? Do you want readers to leave feeling good or feeling like there's work to do? And I, I said, um, both. I think you can feel good, and I think you can also feel like there is work to do. One thing that I took away from reading footnotes was, on the positive side, knowing that we've achieved this kind of access and representation on Broadway several times in the past, we certainly should be able to do it again. But on the negative side, frustration and anger that comes from seeing how we keep letting progress slip away and be reversed— My university students are always a bit thrown for a loop when I talk about these several different eras of black musicals and black artists on Broadway. They tend to think that progress only moves forward and are surprised to see that often after it moves forward, it then goes backwards and gets reversed. This is, of course, the system at work. To me, it's the retention issue. We are in this moment now where we are celebrating black authors and entertainers, and it seems like every black person in Hollywood has deal with some studio and all of that is well and good. But I I do wonder, will that be the case five years from now? Will that be the case 10 years from now? I mean, look, simply put, to get to this moment in 2021, where all those things I just mentioned have happened, we had to collectively watch someone lose their life for nine minutes. I, I hate to kind of go there, but it's just the truth. And so I certainly hope that that is not what it takes to retain 
maintain this moment. I hope that we have learned a lesson in that we are making those systemic changes, including in the theater industry, to be more inclusive, not just on stage. Letting more writers have an opportunity to make pitches to producers and having producers take chances on writers. Having more Black and Brown and women directors, casting people, and having more apprenticeships for lighting designers, set builders. That's what I would like to see, not just performers on stage. Because when I'm talking about Shuffle Along, I'm talking about in every aspect of the show. And so that, to me, would be real progress. And then also it not being a one-off, but it being something that is able to just be ingrained. And I'm just so hopeful that everyone who's watched Hamilton and worn out the soundtrack, everyone who's watched In the Heights, that everyone who will watch West Side Story, you know, we might have to wait 15 years or so to see what comes of this generation that is obsessed with these musicals. But boy, I can't wait to see what they create. It was not lost on me that the 2016 Shuffle Along, which told the story of a musical that was a watershed moment for representation that brought a non-conventional score to the legitimate stage, was overshadowed by a show that was a watershed moment for representation that brought a non-conventional score to the stage almost 100 years later. And... In a way, I'm not even mad at what happened to the 2016 Shuffle <laughs> Along. You know, I think if it's going to meet a premature end and sort of be overshadowed in that way, I'll take it. I can't imagine a more perfect way to end this conversation. We come full circle. The 21st century equivalent of Shuffle Along pulls the rug out from under the original. Thank you, Cassine. Thank you. This year, 2021, marks the 100th anniversary of Shuffle Along's opening on Broadway. And this landmark event is being celebrated not just with footnotes, as you've heard, but also with the release of the first full biography of Shuffle Along's composer, which is titled UB Blake, Rags, Rhythm, and Race by Richard Carlin and Ken Bloom. I've had the pleasure of interviewing those authors as well, and in just a few weeks, you'll hear those conversations as we continue this special Broadway Nation miniseries, 100 Years of Shuffle Along. Broadway Nation is written and produced by me, David Armstrong. Special thanks to the Paragon Ragtime Orchestra, who has performed such a tremendous service by recording so much material from the Black musicals and the Black composers of this period. Also, thank you to 101.9 FM, the voice of beautiful Vashon Island, Washington, and to the entire team at the Broadway Podcast Network. If you're just wild about this podcast, I invite you to become a patron of Broadway Nation. For a contribution of just $7 a month, you can receive exclusive access to the complete unedited versions of many of the interviews that you hear on this podcast. And in fact, I often record nearly twice as much conversation as ends up in the podcast version. You will also have access to additional in-depth conversations with my frequent co-host, Albert Evans, that have not been featured on Broadway Nation. 
and all patrons will receive special on-air shout-outs and acknowledgments of your vital support for this podcast. To join, go to broadwaynationpodcast.supercast.tech, that's S-U-P-E-R-C-A-S-T dot tech, or you can find the link in the show notes to this episode, or in our Broadway Nation Facebook group, which I also invite you to join. Broadway Nation is written and produced by me, David Armstrong. Special thanks to Pals Mox for his help with editing episodes, to KVSH 101.9, the voice of beautiful Vashon Island, Washington, and to the entire team at the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.